Section 12 of The Char Woman's Daughter by James Stevens. Chapters 23 and 24. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read for you by Michelle Fry, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Chapter 23. Mrs. Make-Believe was planning to get back such of her furniture and effects as had been pawned during her illness. Some of these things she had carried away from her father's house many years before, when she got married. They had been amongst the earliest objects on which her eyes had rested when she was born, and around them her whole life of memories revolved. A chair in which her father had sat, and on the edge whereof her husband had timidly balanced himself when he came courting her, and into which her daughter had been tied when she was a baby— a strip of carpet and some knives and forks had formed a portion of her wedding presents she loved these things and had determined that if work could retrieve them they should not be lost forever therefore she had to suffer people like mrs o'connor not gladly but with the resignation due to the hests of providence which one must obey but may legitimately criticize mrs make-believe said definitely that she detested the woman she was a cold-eyed person whose only ability was to order about other people who were much better than she was it distressed mrs make-believe to have to work for such a person to be subject to her commands and liable to her reproofs or advice these were things which seemed to her to be out of all due proportion she did not wish the woman any harm but some day or other she would undoubtedly have to put her in her proper place it was a day to which she looked forward. Anyone who had a sufficient income could have a house and could employ and pay for outside help without any particular reason for being proud, and many people having such an income would certainly have a better appointed house and would be more generous and civil to those who came to work for them. Everybody, of course, could not have a policeman for a nephew, and there were a great many people who would rather not have anything to do with the policeman at all overbearing rough creatures to whom everybody is a thief if mrs make-believe had such a nephew she would certainly have wrecked his pride the great beast here mrs make-believe grew very angry her black eyes blazed her great nose grew thin and white and her hands went leaping in fury you're not in court now you jackanapes you said i with his whiskers and his baton and his feet that were bigger than anything in the world except his ignorant self-conceit have you a daughter ma'am said he what's her age ma'am said he is she a good girl ma'am said he but she had settled him and that woman was prouder of him than a king would be of a crown never mind said mrs make-believe and she darted fiercely up and down the room tearing pieces off the atmosphere and throwing them behind her in a few minutes however she sat down on the floor and drew her daughter's head to her breast and then staring into the scrap of fire she counseled mary wisely on many affairs of life and the conduct of a girl under all kinds of circumstances to be adequate in spirit if not in physique that was her theme Never be a servant in your heart, said she. To work is nothing. The king on his throne, the priest kneeling before the holy altar, all people in all places had to work, but no person at all need be a servant. One worked and was paid, and went away keeping the integrity of one's soul unspotted and serene. 
if an employer was wise or good or kind mrs make-believe was prepared to accord such a person instant and humble reverence she would work for such a one until the nails dropped off her fingers and her feet crumpled up under her body but a policeman or a rich person or a person who ordered one about until she died and was buried in the depths of the world she would never give in to such a person or admit anything but their thievishness and ill-breeding bad manners to the like of them said she and might have sailed boisterously away upon an ocean of curses but that mary turned her face closer to her breast and began to speak for suddenly there had come to mary a vision of peace like a green island in the sea it was like a white cloud on a broiling day the sheltered life where all mundane preoccupations were far away where ambition and hope and struggle were incredibly distant foolishness lowly and peaceful and unjaded was that life she could see the nuns pacing quietly in their enclosed gardens fingering their beads as they went to and fro and praying noiselessly for the sins of the world or walking with solemn happiness to the chapel to praise god in their own small companies or going with hidden feet through the great city to nurse the sick and comfort those who had no other comforter than god to pray in a quiet place and not to be afraid any more or doubtful or despised these things she saw and her heart leaped to them and of these things she spoke to her mother who listened with a tender smile and stroked her hair and hands but her mother did not approve of these things she spoke of nuns with reverence and affection many a gentle sweet woman had she known of that sisterhood many a one before whom she could have abased herself with tears and love but such a life of shelter and restraint could never have been hers nor did she believe it could be mary's for her a woman's business was life the turmoil and strife of it was good to be in it was a cleansing and a bracing god did not need any assistance but man did bitterly he wanted it and the giving of such assistance was the proper business of a woman everywhere there was a man to be helped and the quest of a woman was to find the man who most needed her aid and having found to cleave to him forever in most of the trouble of life she divined men and women not knowing or not doing their duty which was to love one another and to be neighborly and obliging to their fellows a partner a home and children through the loyal cooperation of these she saw happiness and dimly a design of so vast an architecture as scarcely to be discussed the bad and good of humanity moved her to an equal ecstasy of displeasure and approbation but her god was freedom and her religion love freedom even to the last rags of it that remained to a regimented world that was a passion with her she must order her personal life without any ghostly or bodily supervision she would oppose an encroachment on that with her nails and her teeth and this last fringe of freedom was what nuns had sacrificed and all servants and other people had bartered away one must work but one must never be a slave these laws seemed to her equally imperative the structure of the world swung upon them and whoever violated these laws was a traitor to both god and man but mary did not say anything her mother's arms were around her and suddenly she commenced to cry upon a bosom that was not strange 
there was surely healing in that breast of love a rampart of tenderness against the world a door which would never be closed against her or opened to her enemies chapter twenty four in a little city like dublin one meets every person whom one knows within a few days around each bend in the road there is a friend an enemy or a boar striding towards you so that with the piety which is almost religion one says touch wood before turning any corner it was not long therefore until mary again met the big policeman he came up behind her and walked by her side chatting with a pleasant ease in which however her curious mind could discover some obscure distinctions on looking backwards it seemed to mary that he had always come from behind her and the retrospect dulled his glory to the diminishing point for indeed his approach was too consistently policeman-like it was too crafty his advent hinted at a gross espionage at a mind which was no longer a man's but a detective's who tracked everybody by instinct and arrested his friends instead of saluting them as they walked along mary was in a fever of discomfort she wished dumbly that the man would go away but for the wealth of the world she could not have brought herself to hurt the feelings of so big a man to endanger the very dignity of a big man was a thing which no woman could do without a pang the shame of it made her feel hot he might have blushed or stammered and the memory of that would sting her miserably for weeks as though she had insulted an elephant or a baby she could not get away from him she had neither the courage nor the experience which enables a woman to dismiss a man without wounding him and so perforce she continued walking by his side while he treated her to an intelligent dissertation on current political events and the topography of the city of dublin but undoubtedly there was a change in the policeman and it was not difficult to account for he was more easy and familiar in his speech while formerly he had bowed as from the peaks of manly intellect to the pleasant valleys of girlish incompetence he now condescended from the loftiness of a policeman and a person of quality to the quaint gutters of social inferiority to many people mental inferiority in a companion has a charm for it induces in one's proper person a feeling of philosophic detachment a fine effect of personal individuality and superiority which is both bracing and uplifting there is not any particular harm in this progress can be and is accelerated by the hypocrisies and snobbishness all the minor unpleasant adjuncts of mediocrity snobbishness is a puling infant but it may grow to be deeply whiskered ambition and most virtues are on examination the amalgam of many vices but while intellectual poverty may be forgiven and loved social inequality can only be utilized our fellows however addled are our friends our inferiors are our prey and since the policeman had discovered mary publicly washing out an alien hall his respect for her had withered and dropped to death almost in an instant whence it appears that there is really only one grave and debasing vice in the world and that is poverty in many little ways the distinction and the difference was apparent to mary the dignity of the gentleman and the man of the world was partly shorn away 
the gentleman portion which comprised kindness and reticence had vanished the man of the world remained typified by a familiarity which assumed that this and that understood but not to be mentioned shall be taken for granted a spurious equalization perched jauntily but insecurely on a non-committal and that base flattery which is the only coin wherewith a thief can balance his depredations for as they went pacing down the lonely road towards the daughter the policeman diversified his entertaining lore by a succession of compliments which ravaged the heavens and the earth and the deep sea for a fitting symbology mary's eyes and the gay heavens were placed in juxtaposition and the heavens were censured the vegetable animal and mineral worlds were discomfited the deep sea sustained a reproof and the by-products of nature and of art drooped into a nothingness too vast even for laughter mary had not the slightest objection to hearing that all the other women in the world seemed cripples and gargoyles when viewed against her own transcendent splendor and she was prepared to love the person who said this innocently and happily she would have agreed to be an angel or a queen to a man demanding potentates and powers in his sweetheart and would joyfully have equalized matters by discovering the buried god in her lover and believing in it as sincerely as he permitted but this man was not saying the truth she could see him making the things up as he talked there was eagerness in him but no spontaneity it was not even eagerness it was greediness he wanted to eat her up and go away with her bones sticking out of his mouth as the horns of a deer protrude from the jaws of an anaconda veritable evidence to it and his fellows of a victory and an orgy to command respect and envy but he was familiar he was complacent and amazingly she discovered it he was big her vocabulary could not furnish her with the qualifying word or rather epithet for his bigness horrible was suggested and retained but her instinct clamoured that there was a fat oozy word somewhere which would have brought comfort to her brains and her hands and feet he did not keep his arms quiet but tapped his remarks into her blouse and her shoulder each time his hands touched her they remained a trifle longer they seemed to be great red spiders they would grip her all round and squeeze her clamily while his face spiked her to death with its moustache and he smiled also he giggled and cut capers his language now was a perpetual witticism at which he laughed in jerks and at which she laughed tightly like an obedient quick echo and then suddenly without a word in a dazing flash his arms were about her there was nobody in sight at all and he was holding her like a great spider and his bristly moustache darted forward to spike her to death and then somehow she was free away from him scudding down the road lightly and fearfully and very swiftly wait wait he called wait but she did not wait end of section twelve